Hey, this is An Unexpected Launch, a show about stories and the people behind them. I'm speaking with people who've gracefully navigated an unexpected life circumstance. These are stories of resilience, connection, and community, stories of lives being rewritten, rebuilt, and reimagined. I'm Kirsten, and today's story is about Sarah. Sarah's a mom to three boys, and she's a survivor, a thriver, an adventurer, and a believer in all things possible. Her journey through trauma led Sarah to become a professional coach, a wilderness and Grand Canyon guide, an executive producer of Walk Through This, a documentary of Sarah's healing journey in nature, the Live Boldly podcast host, and a TEDx speaker. And if that weren't enough, Sarah is also an author, and her debut book, Walk Through This, has just been published. Through all that she does, Sarah's mission is to guide others to live their lives she believes that we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Sarah, you and I share a mission, and that is telling our stories so that others don't feel so alone. We share those feelings of being in the midst of a journey that we feel that nobody will understand. I'm so honored to have you sharing your story today, and I know there are so many who are going to see themselves in your story and feel less alone, empowered, and inspired. Sarah, welcome to an unexpected launch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. So Sarah, we're going to go back a little bit in time and your trauma began when you were 17 years old. Could you please share your experience? Absolutely. Um, so it did. It started when I was 17. Uh, I am 47 now. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I was raped by somebody that I knew. I attempted to press charges and the police refused to press charges. Um, I ended up, I was pregnant because of the rape, uh, which was devastating in and of itself. And unfortunately, even through that, a lot of people didn't believe me. There was a lot of people, there were a lot of people who um, questioned my story, who uh, questioned me. And um, I actually had to get a restraining order on the guy on top of it. And I talked very openly in my book about this that he tried it again on somebody else and it was a devastating time for myself because I chose back then at 17 to keep my son, to birth my son, to keep my son, to raise my child. Um, and I was questioned a lot about that too. You know, why, why would you do such a thing? And uh, I learned very quickly back then the power of um, your truth and the power of your story, your integrity, and also how to work walk through, right, like that's actually where my title of my book came through, came from, but how to walk through your pain and to um, get out the other side, to walk through to the other side and just know that nobody really, even if people don't believe you, it doesn't matter. It's about believing in yourself. Ultimately, it's about believing in yourself. And um, it was a very difficult time in my life. My mom was actually the person who helped me um, get through a lot of it. My family, they were just amazing. Back then, I grew up in a very small village uh, in Wisconsin, and so, you know, there was just a lot of a lot of judgment back then. And um, but my mom was the one that would walk me down Main Street every day, and she would say to me, "Hold your head high. People may not believe you now, but they will someday." Fast forward, I was 18 years old, and I had this like God-given hit. I call it like a God-given intuitive hit. Believe what you want, spirit, you know, universe, whatever. That. And I was really struggling. I was in college. I went. I was in Madison, UW Madison, Wisconsin. 
Um, and I was, you know, waiting tables and raising my son and still living at home. And my life was just like blown up. And um, I remember where I was and I heard this voice say, just keep believing in you. And, you know, other people will learn from your story that it's not, you don't have to be alone in this world because there are people that are also living what you're living right now. And um, so that's where, it, that's where it started. That's where that birth book was birthed, was back when I was 17 and 18 years old. It took 30 years, but I got it done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you weren't, you weren't quite ready. There were more things that were to come that we're, we, we will definitely be talking you know? about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there were a lot more things. And I remember through my life, I kept thinking to myself, you know, I became a teacher. I was an art teacher. I loved my life. I met my husband when I was a freshman, sophomore in college. We were very young, and um, and I fell in love with him overnight. I mean, we became best friends, and uh, we ended up having two more sons together. So now we have three boys, and I always wondered. I was like, why is this book not coming forth? Why do I feel like I'm still holding on to a story that needs to be told? Mm-hmm. Well, it was very hard to tell your story back then. You know, Me Too hadn't hit. Right. People weren't starting to talk too much, and then my life imploded at 40. And it all made sense. And I was like, oh, I remember when my life imploded and I was thinking to myself, this is why the book didn't get written because right. the story hasn't come to fruition. It hadn't come to fruition yet. Right. Yep. So Sarah, you, as we've talked about, there were there were many things that were to come in your life that at, at 17 and 18, you didn't have the wherewithal to even imagine. How did navigating through the experience of abuse, how did that impact your, your view of yourself, particularly at that time and as you, as you um, advanced in your life? Well, back when I was 17 or 18, 17, 18 years old, I mean, there was, there was so much that I was learning about myself, but truthfully, I didn't really get to dive deep back then. So my parents had sent me to a Catholic social services counselor because even back then therapy was like, people just, it just wasn't as widely known, right? right. And so they did the best that they could. <clears throat> and um, unfortunately, the therapist that they had um, put me with, and I do share this in the book too, I didn't know that she had underlying thoughts of what she was gonna be doing. And um, I gave birth in the hospital and the nurse came in and said to me after I gave birth, uh, you're, you're ready to take your son to foster care. So on top of everything, the therapist who I thought was supposed to be helping me um, had made plans to actually foster my child out and ultimately go into an adoptive home. And I didn't know anything. And so, you know, I don't, because I then had to fight for my son and I literally had to pick up the phone and make a phone call and say, the therapist at the time was on vacation, no cell phones, no connection. Mm Right? And so the nurse, when she came in and said this to me, and I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. My child is, I'm taking my child home. And she said, oh, that's not what we were told. We've got a foster care, we've got a foster family ready for him. And so I had to pick the phone up and, and I, she asked me, she said, do you want me to call or do you want to call? And I said, I want to call. And so I called the foster family and I said, you know, I'm taking my child home with me. Now understand my parents were amazing. And my parents, you know, when you're going through trauma, trauma doesn't only affect you, it affects Correct. everybody. Mm-hmm. It affected my family unit, it affected my parents, it affected my grandparents, everybody. And the, the ultimate piece to this was, though, is that I don't think I truly had enough time in my life back then because I was so in the, 
okay, gave birth in July, went to college in August, September, just was like, okay, I need to get my life, I need to get things planned out. But I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal or the knowledge. I didn't have the guidance. I had the guidance from my parents, which was great. But again, they're in their own trauma, right? Now all of a sudden I'm bringing a child home. And, um, and you know, the thing that it's taught me over time when my second round of trauma hit at 40 was to go back and to heal the parts of myself at 17 that I didn't and hadn't had the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. Now I learned a lot, okay? My mindset was straight up because I was like, here's what you're gonna do to get through this but I still had a lot of deep, emotional, intimate pain that I didn't really have the opportunity to truly explore. Well, I have now, so that's good. And you can do that. That's the thing that I want people to remember is, if you have things that are coming up from when you're you're an iteration of yourself, a younger version of you, you can still go back and you you can heal that part of you and bring that part forward. And we actually need to. Mm -hmm. We actually need to be doing that because the heartbeat that was beating in me at the age of 17 is the same heart that's beating in me right now at 47, right? And so it's it's good to go back and to do that exploration and to say, where can I learn more deeply from that? Where can I heal more deeply from that to become a better version of me today? And I think that it's, I, speaking from my own personal experience, when I was in the midst of the beginning of my journey, I'm a very action-oriented person. I'm very results-oriented. And I kept thinking, well, why am I not getting better? And why am I not healed? It's been six months. It's been 18 months. And I had put so much pressure on myself. And I really needed to get space from my trauma to, to really be able to look back and start to heal from it. And I don't think people can heal in the moment. There's so much that you're managing. You're in shock. And something you talk about in your book is trauma brain. I don't think we have the capacity to heal in the beginning. And so I think yours is a really powerful example of give yourself some grace. Give yourself some time. The healing can come. It's not going to be immediate. But I think that we we want to feel better immediately. And so we, we pressure ourselves to move forward more quickly than I I think we, we are right. able to. Yeah, in fact, the trauma response, right? Like your trauma response is go to safety, go to. And so you automatically are going to this place of, well, let me, let me figure this out, yeah. <laughs> right? You're always in the figuring out stage. But that's why I also believe so deeply in nature because when you are going out into nature, you're coming out of your head. You are being forced to drop into your heart and to get the clarity because the frontal lobe of our brain, which is on when we're traumatized, right? Like that's our, our rumination and all the thoughts. That actually is allowed to rest in our the back part of our brain, which is where we have clarity. None of my, and I explain this to people all the time. I'm like, my healing happened in community, which is why I create community in my healing programs. Support the right people to guide you. It needs to be the right people, hence what happened to me at 17. Right. Right? No alternative motives. It's all about you and what we can do to support you and to love you. And then also getting ourselves outside of our head, dropping ourselves into our heart through meditation, through breath work, through nature, through somatic healing therapy. Because if we are, it's like we live in four walls, we're always in four walls, we're always, I call our brain like the four walls of our brain. We have to learn how to live from here. And that's where the healing happens. That's where the deep connection happens. You know, it's interesting because I think some of my most light bulb or transformative moments were when I was by myself, out hiking, 
listening, you know, no music on, just listening to my feet hitting the path. Um, and I, I, I think that it is so incredibly powerful. Um, and I, I definitely will, will touch on that a little bit more. Um, but something that you've, you've started touching upon in our conversation today is when you turn 40. So as you mentioned, you got married to the love of your life. You had two, two more boys. So you're in a happy family of five and you realize that your husband has been living a double life. What did it feel like as, as the details of that life were revealed to you? What did it feel like to hear those details of his deception? I still hear the details of his deception today, by the way, and it's been seven years. So, and I want to put that in there because sometimes people think, oh, you know everything now, everything's good. And the details still start to, they still unravel. Um, so let me touch on that. So yeah, when I was 40 years old, it was uh, Thanksgiving Eve, 2013, and my husband came home um, late at night and he had been tripping on a drugs and I had no idea what was going on. Um, I knew it was bad, and I've, I'm a pretty clean human being. I've never even smoked pot, so you can imagine me and my phone, like, scrolling through going, what is this? Like, literally asking Siri for help, right? And so, or whatever it was, Googling it. Um, and it was, it was, I found out that two days later, he, he tripped for five days, but I found out two days into it that, and this is through Thanksgiving, like, we had 46 people over at my house for Thanksgiving. It was unreal. And the amount of trauma that I was experiencing at the time was just incredible. I had so much complex PTSD flowing through me because I knew something was wrong. But then he finally came clean um, that Friday morning and told me that he had been with men. And uh, he, so he was sleeping with men for, and I found out over the course of those five days, so I had disclosure that day, and um, or discovery that day, and disclosure over five days and finding out that he actually had been having relations for 14 of our 17 years of marriage with men and people I knew people and other people that knew that this was going on and the depth of the, and the secrecy it was it was horrendous it was literally a double life um and I just do want to point in though that through my process of forgiveness and through my own process of healing we were actually on good terms and so I so even when I speak about that stuff um you know, I speak about it as how it impacted me, and and he is still the father of my kids, right? And so I'm very conscientious of that when I share my story. Um, but the moment that I found out, you know, it was fascinating, and he told me. I looked at him straight in the eye, and I said, I want a divorce, but I will forgive you someday. And the reason that I said that, I don't believe it was my 40-year-old self, because I was so traumatized. I believe it was my 17-year-old subconscious voice, subconscious self, saying to me, hey, look, we've been here before. We know how to get through this, and we're going to get through it again. And it was it's really taught me a lot about the different iterations of who we are and mm -hmm. our different traumas and how they can actually support us later in life, right? Absolutely. Well, and, you know, something that I found interesting when I was reading your book is you, you're, you at times, your inner self whispered to you, he's gay. And yeah. Like you, I just suppressed those because I had those same intuitions and I stuffed those so deep down inside. What would you say to people to how can we how can we learn to trust our intuition? Well, so here's the deal. My intuition now is so spot on because and here's why. Um, 
So instead of shaming myself for not listening to myself, I'm like, wow, girl, all of those moments that you had those hits, they were spot on. And how amazing that your intuition is that strong and that you will, you can, you will have that hit, but really it's about listening to it. Right. And the thing that I did, and this is where many people do this is when I would ask him the question, what I would say to him, wow, so weird. I was just running up a hill and I swear like a God given message came to me that something you're like gay or what the heck. I would have the conversations with them, but this didn't also happen throughout our entire marriage. This didn't, this really started happening more in the latter half of it when I was feeling something was up. Um, but when I would have those hits and I would go and talk to him, I would did it, I did it from the wife, right? Like I married you, you're my best friend, you're my partner, you would never do this to me. And he would always respond with, I would never cheat on you. Are you kidding me? I would never cheat on you. And I love you so much. And so I listened to him over myself. Yeah. Right. And so why wouldn't you? He's a, he was my husband. He was my partner. He was my best friend. Of course, I'm going to listen to that. Of course I am. Where it runs differently is this, where I, where I now am today is in terms of trusting myself and trusting myself to listen, right. And not questioning. It's different because I now know my, when your intuition hits, your body reacts. And so when your body reacts a certain way, I always listen to my body. And if my body starts uh, starts having that response to um, an intuitive hit that I felt before and I was smack dab on, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this mm -mm, this isn't this isn't good. Something's up. Something's up. Something's up. And so when you start to really be aligned, body, mind, spirit, soul you know, everything emotional, everything, you just, you just know, you just know. And I wish I would have listened a few times back then. I know. <laughs> At the same time, like, I get why I didn't, yeah. right? Like, I give myself grace. And I, the deepest part of my healing has come from self-forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I start my book in self-forgiveness, because you have to get to that place of forgiving yourself before you can forgive somebody else. But these are the things that I needed to learn, yeah. right? Responsibility for and self-forgiveness also for. Yeah. And that's, again, why the journey, the healing journey t takes a long time. And we have to respect all of the things that are happening and that we're learning along that trajectory. So one of the things that you mentioned in your book that I, I so resonated with is you talk about how difficult it was to let go of the life that you thought you were going to have. And I think that the grief that accompanies this kind of loss can be paralyzing. And what advice would you have for somebody who's struggling in those initial periods of grief where they're really mourning the loss of that past life, but they're also mourning the loss of what they thought was going to come? Right. So I actually interviewed a professor of grief this morning. So I'm glad that you're bringing this up. Perfect timing. <laughs> perfect, perfect. You know, um, one of the things that she and I were talking about, and, and it's interesting how her uh, studies of grief, there's a lot of um, overlap uh, in correlation with my own um, study of forgiveness, living of forgiveness, my own like thought processes on it. And um, one of the things that she mentioned was there is no closure. So right. you're always looking for the closure right? There never actually is a closure. And what there is are, what there are, are a lot of openings, 
right? And so you will always, and I do, I do, I still mourn my past. I still mourn, and I always will be. But that's also the difference between saying to yourself, okay, I'm over it, I'm done, and I'm practicing this process of forgiveness, of grieving, of loss, of healing, of whatever it is, right? I'm stepping into it every day as a choice. And it's fascinating though, because this whole thought process on like, you know, what do you do? Like, what do you do on the fact that you're no longer, you don't no longer have the dream that you thought you had, the life that you thought you had. This is where, and this goes back into with, for me, forgiveness as well, is that deep personal inner growth, that deepest, deepest, deepest growth, where then you can also say to yourself, okay, I didn't ask for this. I never asked for this. And here I am. What am, what am I going to choose to create from this? How am I going to actually live my life out differently? Yes, than I thought. And wow, what are the possibilities from that? So I always talk about your art, your your life is being like a, a piece of art. Like mold it however you want. You pull that child out from in you and get creative with it. And is it hard? Yes. Is it scary? Oh my gosh, yes. And what's what's the alternative? Right. Right. What's the alternative? You can continue to experience joy and grief and sadness just like you can at the exact same time just as like you can experience anger and forgiveness at the exact same time right it's what you choose through that though Mm -hmm. you know it's interesting Uh, i've talked with so many people who are are grieving or been through trauma for very different reasons and the people that i interview are individuals who've really gone on to just create something beautiful out of their their experience and the common theme that runs throughout sort of how did you get through this was exactly what you just said and it's fine you don't want to be there but you are there and so what is the purpose how can you take what you've been given and and transform yourself into the best person that you can be and leverage that experience to discover something you would have never sought out otherwise or would have never reached for or never even thought of. And so it's taking that opportunity. It it is an opportunity to learn something, to grow. And I think that's something that really helped me. Um, I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to discover a purpose out of this. I'm not going to go through all of this for nothing. I'm going to, I'm going to use it to make something out of it. Um, and I think that's really powerful. And it, to be honest, it took me, it took me a long time to get there, um, years. And I'm still, I'm still, still, I still work through it. Um, but I, I do think if we can take some time and reflect to, to get to that point, that it's so powerful. Well, listen, I never thought I'd be standing on a TED Talk stage talking about forgiveness. I never thought I'd be <laughs> writing a book where it would be about forgiveness in nature. I thought I was going to be writing a memoir when I was 18 years old about what I went through so other people <laughs> But that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Right? Like that's also where I tell people heart and center open, allow allow whatever needs to be coming into your life to come in. Like don't resist the possibilities. Yeah. Because when we resist the possibilities, we ultimately are resisting our own living and expansion. Yeah. Right? And so I there what What's the alternative? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't, I don't, I don't have an alternative. That was like, okay, well, I guess this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I wrote about that in the book. I was like, I never set out to be this person. I could have very well, very easily. And there are days where I'm like, gosh, maybe I could just go crawl in a hole and go back to sleep, you know? Um, so we all have those thoughts and those, those moments where we're like, yeah. Yeah. But what good is that going to do for the world? That's right. That's exactly right. No. Well, and I, I think it's um, I think it's taking that and sharing it, as you say, and I think that's what's so powerful. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things that you were talking about earlier is the, the the importance of nature and how important that was to you um, during your journey. And you write so beautifully throughout your book the the impact of nature and how we can use it and you have beautiful meditations throughout each of your chapters so for those who are, are listening to us today what are some simple steps that that people can take to start to realize the power and yet the simplicity of nature and how that can be leveraged during their healing okay i love that you said the power and simplicity in the exact same like the exact same phrase power and simplicity because Thank you for saying that because people look at me sometimes and they think, oh, I got to go climb a summit or I got to go into the mountains or I have to go paddle offshore with whales and dolphins. I did that, yes, and I'm an adventurer as well. And the power of nature is so simple. It gets back to the most simple, simple things, which is being present in the moment with what is around you. So that means go to the park, lie down on the grass, look up at the clouds and just witness what's happening in the sky be one with it right we did this as children that's why i started my book with the childlike steps within us we did this as children that said we don't always do it as adults and so you know watch the leaves fall down from the trees like actually watch one leaf how it's falling down to you right and watch the spider that's weaving a web watch the way that the grass blows in the wind how about if you actually just feel the wind, right? And so we have all of these senses in us, but yet we don't always utilize them. So I was guiding a blind woman through the Grand Canyon. Can I go into a little alternate? Absolutely, okay. take it. So I, I, um, I was running a retreat, uh, I believe it was in June of 2018, I believe. Um, and uh, I had a blind woman that wanted to go. And of course I was like, absolutely. I've never guided a blind woman, but sure, we'll do it. Um, and it was amazing. And here's why it was so amazing. It was amazing because we ended up being able to witness the canyon, not through the lens of sight, but through the experience of all of our other senses. So, and I hadn't, I didn't tell anybody when I was on this retreat. So I was guiding everybody on this retreat. It was a women's retreat. And I didn't tell any of the other women that there was going to be a blind woman with us in this group. And not until our first call. And then I said to her, I said, hey, Sean, would you mind letting everybody know? Because I'm, it's not my story to tell. I don't, it's not my story to tell that, that you're blind and this is yours. And they need to experience it through this through you. And um, they were in awe. They were absolutely in awe. The fact that, A, we were going to be on this experience together with somebody now who is going to teach us how to experience the canyon in a different way. But then also the level of support, the level of love, the level of community, right? And how it was for us to be doing that 
outside. Mm -hmm. But how many support groups happen inside, right? Yeah. But being able to take that and do it outside, so you can experience nature in multiple ways. But that's why I love doing my retreats in the Grand Canyon, because it takes it to a whole other level. Mm -hmm. Because you are, you are literally embraced, literally embraced by the walls of this canyon. And you have to do nothing else but surrender, which is the coolest thing. Yeah. But that's what nature does to us. It forces us, it literally says to us, surrender to what the heck is going on in society and just be present with me. Mm -hmm. That's it. But that's where that's where our healing happens. Yeah. Well, and I love, you know, you, you had mentioned this a little bit earlier. I think that when you are focusing on something outside of yourself, it takes you out of that repetitive pattern when your mind is stuck on something and you can't you can't move past it just getting out like you say it doesn't have to be something amazing or complicated it's right outside your back door or off of your balcony and it's accessible and i i, I really did find for myself um that being getting outside of my own head was so incredibly inspiring and 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 it stopped just the the ongoing thought process that I couldn't stop on my own well and you know it's interesting because there's two things I want to touch on with this is that you know that's why meditation outside is so important um that's why in my book I made <laughs> it was as hard as as hard as it was to do and as much time as it took I made one set of med meditations with nature sounds and one without so if somebody was inside and they wanted to listen to, because even just listening to nature sounds actually starts to shift physiologically what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. So I did one with them and one without them in case people want to take them outside into nature. Because being in nature is also a mindfulness practice, but then when you take meditation into it, you were, it's kind of like turning the knob up, you know? And it's like, it's like meditating on steroids, I guess you could say, right? Because you're just like forced to be more present as well. Which is really cool, which is, it's just, you know, it's a beautiful practice. It is. Um, and your meditations throughout your book are beautiful. Um, I, they're, they're fantastic. Something else that I, that you touch on in your book um, is, is loneliness. Um, the lo you felt so lonely during your recovery. And I think that many of us who are in the midst of our grief feel lonely because we just don't think anybody else can, can understand how we're feeling. And what's so interesting is the guests that I've interviewed on the show, it really doesn't matter the cause of their loneliness, whether it was a cancer diagnosis or it was a death of, of a spouse or abuse. Everybody talks about this loneliness. How do we leverage? The, I don't think we can avoid it because I think that is a byproduct of our grief, but how do we leverage that loneliness in our recovery? So, you know, I, there were three words that helped me immensely in, in my recovery. And again, they came like God given, given hits. I don't, I don't know how it is just like channels down. Um, I was on the ocean on my paddleboard and the three words were truth. Always speak your truth. Your truth is your truth. Own your truth. What happened? That's why I speak so freely about my story. You know, um, I'm not outing my husband. I'm not, and even my own children, I talked to them about this their truth is their truth their experience through this is their experience it's not not through me right it's through them um so truth is one inspiration lead an inspiring 
day, every day, find inspiration for your even moments. Like this is an inspiring conversation, right? And so even that, right? And and find inspiring moments in your day and then hope. Have hope for your present and hope for your future. Now, hope is a word that people misconstrue. And I always say hope is for you. It's internal hope. Not hoping that somebody else is gonna do something for you, which is an expectation of, right? right. So the loneliness for me helped. I, I overcame so much of my loneliness through that. Just speaking my truth, finding inspiration, and having hope for myself um, throughout this journey. And also my teddy bear. I sleep with the teddy bear. I don't know what else to say. I do. I, yeah. I talk very openly about that. It's the teddy bear that I had when I was 17. I Her love that. I and love I still that. sleep with them. So there you go. Get yourself a teddy bear. <laughs> it's amazing the power of the teddy bear, right? <laughs> I actually have a lot of my clients do that. They're like, you're nuts. I'm like, just try it. Yeah. And then they're like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like giving yourself a hug. Yep. Oh, I love that. So you mentioned um, you gave a TEDx talk, which, by the way, was was phenomenal. And I highly encourage everybody to 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 look at that. And I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Your topic is forgiveness. And uh, one of the things that I love is that you challenge the definition of forgiveness and you have your own. And I'd love for you to share that with us. Let me, let, me, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. It's in my book. Let me pull it up. Yeah. So so how the TED Talk came into play is this. The TED Talk came into play because I was asked to do a TED Talk, and I thought it was going to be on, like, nature, you know, because I'm the nature girl, right? And so I was like, oh, I can do something on nature. I can do something on personal development or whatever. And then she started asking me. We were really diving deep into my life. Like, you know, how is it that you're okay how is it that you're not um, in pain or you're not like wanting to just like this ruminating life of just anger and resentment? And I realized as we started diving out that it's all forgiveness. It's all forgiveness. And she asked me, and she said, well, what's, the, what's your definition of forgive? And I told her my definition of forgive. And then we looked it up in the dictionary and I was floored. So I'm actually going to read it straight out of my book. Perfect. Merriam-Webster defines forgive as to cease to feel resentment against an offender, pardon, can you believe that? Pardon, forgive one's enemies, to grant forgiveness had to learn to forgive and forget. I was horrified. I literally was like, she, we were reading this, I'm like, no way. And I lost, I lost my marbles. <laughs> Yes, please do. So I define forgive as, this is what we came up with for the TED Talk too, to acknowledge an offense and the consequences of that offense as truth, to choose to let go of negative feelings because we all have power of choice in this world, and to cease to harbor animosity toward the offender. Now, I also talk about your forgiveness journey should be a practice. It's not one and done. So every day, because trust me, there are still moments where I get plenty angry. But does that mean that I have totally 
strip myself of all the forgiveness that I've done in the past? Not at all. It just means in this moment, in this particular moment, I'm having a difficult moment and I'm acknowledging that. It doesn't mean that I don't forgive you. I'm still working on this because it's a practice. It's like a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. You are continuously working on this every single day and strengthening that forgiveness as well. So, you, you, and you have a whole chapter devoted to forgiveness. And by the way, oh, I, I love your love your definition. Yeah. Um, and, and you talk about self-forgiveness in, in that chapter, which I think is so important. And we've yeah. talked about this a little bit um, today. But why do, you, why do you believe that forgiveness, including self-forgiveness, is so vital to our healing? Because everything also, so the most important relationship that we can have in this world and in our lifetime is with ourselves. Period. Period. You do not need external people to be telling you how amazing that you are. Feels good. You could be wrong. <laughs> and we should also be doing that with one another. And you were born into this world a worthy human being, a beautiful beacon of light in this world, right? And so every single thing that begins and ends in this world begins with self. That does not mean that you are selfish, that means you are selfless. Because the deeper that you can understand and love yourself, the more that we can also do that with the world. And that's why I wrote in the book, self-forgiveness, everything, like self-worth, self-love, everything begins with self. That's why I started that chapter with self-forgiveness. Now, self-forgiveness is interesting because it's not something that's really been talked about until recently. You know that, right? Yeah. It's not, it, forgiveness has been talked about forever. But self-forgiveness, people have thought self-forgiveness is being kind of a selfish act. I look at it as like, you are loving yourself that deeply that you are learning from your experiences so deeply. You're going through the healing process and then you're saying to yourself, you're accepting responsibility where you can. And then you're saying to yourself, I forgive you. I forgive you. And I'm learning from my actions. It's not like you're not pardoning yourself and saying like, okay, Go do it again. You're literally learning from your actions to create a deeper, more understanding, loving you for this world. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly powerful and, and so hard. I, I, I found it so easy to forgive everybody around me, and yet I was so hard on myself. It took a long time and a lot of therapy to get to the point where I allowed myself self-compassion and grace to get to the point where I could actually forgive myself. That was that was the hardest. So I I'm gonna like can we can we can we stop here for a second? Is yes. Cool. Yes. So, okay. This, this is where I also challenge my clients too, and I explain to them: Look, you ultimately are giving your energy to another human being, when ultimately that energy could be self-directed into your own heart and soul. Your heart and soul was the one that was hurt here, right? So you're ultimately handing the energy over to somebody else, but ultimately what you want to first start with is your own heart and your own soul. Mm -hmm. That's where we want to begin. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating to me though, also how many people have a hard time forgiving others, but the reason that they're having a hard time forgiving others is because I looked at them and I'm like, did you forgive yourself first? Well, I didn't even think about forgiving myself. Right. Okay, that's free. <laughs> Go into the process of forgiving yourself first yeah. so that you can better understand yourself and you can better understand the situation. Also regain your power, quite frankly, yeah. right? Your own internal inner warrior power. And then you can step into that space of forgiving another person. I also, 
will challenge and say that I believe that the more self-forgiveness that we do, you are also able to hand the pain back to the people that have hurt you most mm -hmm. in a more powerful way. And that forgiveness is actually deepened as well. Yeah. And underlying everything in this world when it comes to forgiveness is love. And we need more love in this world. Absolutely. Oh. Badly now. <laughs> like, we need more love. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Which is why I went into the third step, forgiveness for the world. Because yeah. we have to get to that place of forgiveness for the world, too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we need a lot of that right now. <laughs> So you, you mentioned you had some voices at, at the age of 18, and one of the things that that voice said to you is, someday you are going to write a book and give hope to others so that they don't feel less alone. So you recently published this book, which I've dog-eared and I've written in the pages. Um, um, but this is your first book, um, and it's one that I would have wished for during my journey it's your story it's these beautiful meditations it's journal prompts and it's concrete steps towards self-discovery self-love recovery from trauma it's both gentle and yet firm at the same time <laughs> so how do you will and that's what that's what we all need we need somebody to you know hug us but we also need a kick in the booty so you know <laughs> I asked my friends they're like okay can you let go nope <laughs> yeah well and we need those too um so how did you know you'd been thinking about this book since you were 18 how did you know that this was the one so I am a big manifester. I will tell you that too. I just have fun in life. I literally do. And so I was like, so when I had this hit at 18 and then all of a sudden I'm in my 40s, I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to go write this book. And people were saying, well, self-publish or do that or do that. And like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an agent. And people were like, well, you've never even written a book before. How are you going to get an agent? I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work on it. So I did a lot of work. I mean, I hired somebody to help me with my um, with my uh, book proposal. It took me two years just to write my book proposal, by the way, because the first one sucked so bad. <laughs> and then I had to pull it, pull it apart. And then through exploration of the book proposal, I was like, you know what? I don't even really want to write a memoir. I want to write a memoir and a personal development book. I, You know what? I want exactly what you said, quite frankly. Like, I want what I didn't have during my recovery. That's what I want. And so whenever I do anything, the programs, like I'm starting this program in 2021, it's an online community for healing, which is called The Trail. It's amazing, I freaking love it. Every single thing that I do anymore, from the retreats that I run to the film that we're working on, it's always where, how has, what have I missed? What did I not have in my past journey? What did I not have in my trauma recovery that I want to bring to the people today? Mm -hmm. And it comes with a lot of fun, because I do love having fun, which is the same with the book. I wanted to have fun writing the book. And I also knew it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, which it was, and with my own passion and purpose thrown in. Um, so that's how it happened. But really, you know, I, I wrote about this in the book. I was on, I hiked from the High Sierra Trail, from um, Yosemite National, Sequoia National Park, actually, to the summit of Mount Whitney. 
that was three or two years ago. And while I was on the trail, I kept manifesting this book. I'm like, I see this book and I need my lit agent. And I see people taking my book outside and I see people dog earing the pages just like you. And like, this is what I see. And this girl, I'll never forget it. We were up at a lake and, um, and she pulled out this book and she said, this book is helping me heal. And I looked at my niece and I said, that will be my book someday. And I got my lit agent that year, December 31st, 2018. And I wanted my lit agent by the end of the year. And then the following year, I went on the High Sierra Loop in Yosemite, uh, yeah, in Yosemite National Park. And I was like, okay, I just want my, I want my publisher. I want my, I want somebody that's going to believe in me, that, that where they don't look at me and think I need a million followers because I don't have a million followers. I mean, give me a break. I'm a mom with three kids. Like, I mean, you know, is my following growing now? Absolutely. Thank goodness, because I mean, it's helping more people. Right. Right. But I didn't start with that. I had like a thousand people following me, and I'm like, okay, and. Um, and then by the time that I got my publisher, though, my, 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 my uh, platform had grown a little. And um, yeah, and I got my publisher in November. And then that was 2019. And then they were like, can you write this book by February? And I was like, what? <laughs> and then COVID And you know, I was like, okay, you guys, I can't write it by February, but I'll start it in December when I started it in the fires that were going on in Australia, mm-hmm. believe it or not. It was only a year ago. And I ended it during COVID, June, June, July-ish is when we finally finished it. Um, All during COVID, perfect timing. Perfect timing. I know. Well, and that's the thing, you know, I think that, I just wrote a piece on grief during COVID, and I think that so many people are experiencing grief during COVID for for different reasons. And so these are the types of books, let me uh, show it again, (laughs) that are so helpful. What do you hope? Yeah. What do you, it really is. And I. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was like, I, yeah. And that's why I wrote it the way that I did, though, too, because I really wanted a book that people can use and that they're going to take outside of the home. Yeah. You know, that they're going to take outside. And that's, that was, that's what I wanted. Well, it's incredible. And, you know, through so many of your platforms, the book, um, through your website, through your TED Talk, you share some really intimate and very painfully personal moments. Why do you share your story so openly? Um, because I know what it was like to be in the story and feeling like nobody else was there. And um, I mean, I lived my story, right? And I, and I know the pain and I don't want people to feel that same pain. And so as hard as it is sometimes, because it can get very difficult. And there's a lot of stuff I don't share. There's a, I mean, you guys are all hearing like a minuscule of what has actually happened. And, um, and so I'm very, you know, I'm very respectful of not sharing too much. Right. Though who knows with the film, the film, I mean, we're working on this documentary and that goes super deep. So, um, but I just, I want people to be heard and they can, they, I want them to hear themselves and see themselves in my words and what I've lived through because then they're going to be connected in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think so, that, yeah, that connection is so powerful to our healing and it's so critical to feel that you have other people who they may not have been in your day-to-day experience, but you're connected with them through those shared, those shared experiences. So, I think that sharing our stories is so powerful for other people to give them that beacon of hope. But I also believe 
that there's it brings us power. So what has sharing your, your story done for your healing? That's a good question. Um, so I always say that in sharing your truth, you are opening yourself to um, so much joy. Because in sharing your truth and your story, you're, you're taking a little bit more depth of, you're like pulling another layer off, right? Every single time. And it gives you that opportunity to understand yourself a little bit more. And through that, you are ultimately opening yourself up to all these other possibilities. Yeah. Which for me, freedom. Like freedom, ultimate freedom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to take a little bit of a turn. Um, we've, been, we've been laughing. We've been talking about these inspirational opportunities and power and moving forward. And there's a topic that I think is so important that many of us do not want to talk about, but I think it's such a critical piece of the journey, and that's talking about suicide. And yeah. most people, we don't want to talk about it. And like you did, I also considered suicide. I was at a moment where I just, I couldn't imagine a path forward for myself. But it was my three boys, as, as for you, they kept me grounded and they, they kept me moving, moving forward. So we don't want to talk about suicide. It, there's stigma, there's shame, but I think it is so critically important that we do. And that was one of the things that I loved about your book is you address that head on. And I'd love for you to just share some thoughts uh, with what, what thoughts might you have for somebody who's struggling with thoughts of suicide? So I would go back and read my words, quite frankly, and connect to them and know truthfully, you are not alone in this. I mean, I thought about it. I remember driving my car down the 405 and I was like, if I just slam this into this, my pain, the deepest pain will go away. I wasn't eating. I had, an, I had to force myself to eat an apple a day. I lost so much weight. I was, I was ruminating. I was crying nonstop. I was anxious. I mean, I had so much anger in me and rage that I didn't even know that my body could, I didn't even know I could go that deep with rage. I had no idea, and I'm not a rageful person. Yeah. It was such an experience of like massive overload on every level that the pain was so harsh. And then to know that I still had to get up every day and mother my kids, was terrifying yeah. because how are you going to do that? And I will tell you that through my truth so that other people understand that they're not alone, that's what helped me get out of it. It was just this finding one person at a time that I could talk to. Mm -hmm. And so those people that are there, if there is anybody, cause there are, there are, reach out to me for goodness sakes. I'll listen to you. Um, and I'll hold space for you. Yeah. You know, just finding somebody that will see you for who you are and can hear you for who you are. That's it. That's all that you need. Because that one person will also ultimately also be there for you. Right. And I'm very serious. Go into my website and contact me. Like, I'm not joking. Like, yeah. my door's open. Because we don't, it's just, it breaks my heart. And I've lost people to suicide. Mm -hmm. And it, it just breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart. And I, we, mental, it's a real thing. And also feeling this lost is yeah. a real thing. Yeah. 
And I, I worry so much now more than ever with people self-isolating and socially isolating that that's just exacerbating the loneliness that people are feeling and, and the anxiety that they're feeling. And I think talking about mental health and creating that space that it's okay to admit that you've had thoughts of suicide, that doesn't label you as this kind of a person or that kind of a person. It's finding that courage to reach out to one person and maybe yeah. to another. And um, so thank you for, for talking on that, that topic because I do think it's such an important part of, of grief. Um, you know, I know that nature was definitely something that inspired you, but when you were grieving and in those low moments, where did you turn for inspiration? Huh, nature. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I will be very, very honest with you. It was, I had a support group. I did end up finding a support group, which was great. They were very, very helpful to me. Um, but my inspiration came from being present with my kids, right? Just allowing myself to be present with them. But they also knew that they couldn't, that I couldn't go to that place of being ultimately present with them until I got myself outside every day and moved my body. Yeah. And that meant, you know, just going down to the ocean and just walking the beach. And I mean, I get it. We live, I, I mean, I, when I was 17, I would go and plop my butt in the cornfields and I would just sit there in the cornfields and just look around. And if I, if, if I felt like crying, I would cry. And I was only 17. Yeah. And so just allowing myself to have my senses be heightened. So I wasn't always in my pain. That's those are moments of inspiration. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, you know, I also think, and we've talked about this, that through these journeys and through these unexpected circumstances, beautiful gifts emerged. What are some of the gifts that have come through your journey? Um, being here with you, truthfully. <laughs> I don't, I, I really truly mean that. I truly mean that. Like, literally, I think the biggest gifts have been um, when people get excited about my book, when yeah. I get messages from people that say that my story helps them messages through my website, messages through, you know, the newsletters that I send out or through the messages through social media. And I just found you and, oh my gosh, now I don't feel so alone. Yeah. That's been the biggest gift for me. It's been, it's been, it's just been amazing. The impact of that my TED talk had, I remember standing up there and watching a guy in the front row to the right of me who was like cowering and just wanted to just sink into his seat because I knew that my words were affecting him so deeply. Mm -hmm. Or the guy that came up to me afterwards and said, I'm taking the weeping, just weeping and said, I'm taking this message of forgiveness back to my home and mm -hmm. us as a family are gonna sit down and we're gonna have a conversation at the, at the holidays. This was like, you know, a year ago. And it just, that's it. Like that's just the impact, that's it. Just the just it's all the impact. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. What would you what is your greatest hope? Oh my greatest hope, and I can honestly oh I'm just gonna sit with this one, the fact that I'm actually sharing this. My greatest hope is that this book makes it around the world and that it ultimately brings us together as in humanity. Yeah. That's truly my greatest hope between the film and between this book, because the film's not done yet, right? Like the film, and the film is huge. That's a, whew, that's a piece of art. So between that and this book, my hope is that in, as a humanity, we can come together more deeply and understand one another more deeply. Mm. I love and that. And put more love in the world, right? Yeah. And just put more love into the world. That's beautiful. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing that. 
So I just want to thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's just been an honor and such a pleasure. And I really want to thank you for the incredible work and the messages that you're putting out. And I, I just want to end with, is there anything that uh, you and I haven't spoke about that you would like our listeners to know? No, I think we've hit a lot of stuff. We went deep. <laughs> You know where to find me. I'm, you know, in my website, Sarah Schulten Kranz. You've got, you're going to put all the links and stuff, yep. I'm sure. My Instagram, my Facebook, all that. Go watch the film. Yep. Walkthroughthis.com. Go watch the film. Get inspired. Yeah. Well, and I just want to encourage people to sign up for your newsletter. You send out these beautiful newsletters, uh, fantastic topics and links, and get the book. One more time. Thank you. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Unexpected Launch Podcast.